Hello everyone, and welcome to SOS, Sides of the Spectrum, the show where we talk about everything and everyone in our neurodiverse universe. So today we are interviewing someone I not only admire, but I call my friend. He is an amazing actor, drama buff, creative writer slash producer, and a dad to a cute 14-month-old baby named Ben. Please welcome Chris Power. Hello, Chris, and welcome to Sides of the Spectrum. I am so proud to have you on my show. You are an inspiration for me, and I am sure you will inspire many of our listeners as well. So we're just going to go. Of course. So we're going to dive in straight into it. I know that you are a movie buff. You love movies. Yes. So on that, what is your favorite movie or TV show of all time? That's a really hard question for me to answer. Um, I would have to say it's the original Adam West Batman series, if I had to put a pin in it. Now, actually, I haven't heard of... Wait, are you talking about the very early cartoon one? No, Adam West did a live-action version of uh, Batman back in, like, the the 80s. Um, And just the humor and how it was written and the... The comedy that was there, it was it was really fun for me as a kid growing up with that. So I, I, I would have to put a pin in and say that was my my favorite show. You know what? I, I do like a good old comedy. Um, obviously, I'm more of a new generation kind of person, so I'm more into like cartoons and all that. You know what? But I, you know what? The old the old cartoons are very fascinating, very retro. We had the best cartoons growing up, Aiden. It was Saturday morning. We had all the fun cartoons. Even the original Animaniacs was there. Uh, it was it was a great time to be a kid in the eighties and nineties for sure. Mm, Animaniacs is one of my favorite shows. I got or one of my old time shows. I really enjoyed those. Nice. So on the second on the second part of favorites, what is your favorite director? Um. You know, I was thinking about that question, and uh, my honest answer is I, I don't have a favorite director. For me, it's more about the story. Uh, if the story is compelling and entertaining from the trailer and from what I see, uh, that's what I kind of fall in love with. There's some directors that have done some great work, uh, and there's some that have, you know, you kind of look at it and say, geez, why would you take that project on? Um, so I don't have a favorite director. You know what? That's perfectly fine. You know, some people don't have favorite directors. I, for one, can't really put my finger on a favorite director. But I, I do have, I do, I would have to say that like you're one of my favorite directors. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Aiden. I appreciate that. Of course. So we've done some movie questions. Let's move on to drama and acting. So, have you always loved drama? I've always loved the stage. Uh, in terms of drama, comedy, and entertaining. Uh, from a drama standpoint, I, I do like kind of setting you down that path of, um, you know, what's going to happen, and then you have to, you know, flip the proverbial page, if you will, to, to keep you there to see what it is. My goodness. Um, so I just, I want to get into the, like, the basic point. Like, when did your fascination for drama and that start? Did it start when you were a child or like, when did it start? 
Yeah, I always, uh, as a child, um, I was very much into art and music and art on a canvas, much like yourself. And then I was really drawn to the entertainment side of things. And I did a couple of plays when I was in school as a young kid. And I just fell in love with that. And then as I grew up, it was a uh, falling in love with music because I, I really connected with jazz at the time. And then it was moving into art as a medium. And now in my later years, um, you know, I'm just finding myself in love with movie making as well. I still play music now as much as I should. But that was at a very early age in my household that, you know, my parents always said, you have to pick one instrument, you have to at least do one one theatrical play, and then you can choose whatever you want from there. Uh, I just kept doing it. <laughs> I, I, I love that way of thinking, you know? It's it's not like, oh, do all of them at once. It's saying, you know, try each one, and if you don't like that one, just switch on to the other one. It, it allows you so, like, you don't get stuck. It's a wide expanse of, of, of opportunities. Yeah, I mean, art is so diverse. Um, and, I mean, sometimes it's the medium canvases, sometimes it's animation, sometimes it's... So do you prefer to work alone, or do you like working with others? That's a great question. I get that a lot. I love working with other people. I get to see their different talents and skill sets, and I can coach them along the way. And they, I learn from them, and they learn from me. Uh, a big part of what I do now is I work with a gentleman named Mike, and I, you know, I'll call him at midnight and say, "Hey, this is an idea for this next piece. What do you think?" And you know, of course, he's asleep. <laughs> so, I love having the opportunity to bounce ideas off other people, and working in large settings allows me to learn more from everybody that I didn't have before so I, I do enjoy working with others so you're 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 basically saying kind of like you know having multiple people you have different opinions and different thoughts on the on like the same thing rather than just having one specific idea yeah I mean that's exactly right because what ends up happening is that I have an idea and I say okay it's this and what will happen is, is that I'll communicate with other people and say well what do you think of this idea and some of them will just question me, you know, well, why that? Why not this instead? And you can have the opportunity to expand your idea and make it bigger, or you can look at it from a different angle. So it's really good to be able to bounce ideas off of somebody. And most of the time, you may sit there and say, I don't like any of those ideas that these people are telling me. But at least now you know what you don't like so that you can regraft and refocus on what you had. I got to uh, You know what? I, I like I like your way of thinking. It's it's very it's very group oriented. I really like a group oriented person. Thank you. So for me and many in our community, this next question is going to be very important. How do you stay organized and prioritize tasks? That's that's a really tough one. Um, I do have a scatter brain when it comes to uh, the the world of arts and entertainment but I have my own uh, invisible uh, disabilities as well. So for me, I write down everything as I see it play out in my mind. And then as it plays out in my mind and I've written it down in front of me, I then go back from a time management standpoint and say, okay, what are the easiest things that I can get done first? And then I will go through the list and get everything that is super easy to be done. And then I'll take on the medium tasks and I'll save the hard tasks for the end. The reason I do that is being able to look back and let's say there's five easy things, four medium things and two hard things. Being able to look back and seeing all the easy stuff and all the medium stuff done, I don't have to worry about it. I can focus my attention 
on the challenges that I'm about to, to endure here. So for me, it's what's super easy, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing a prop list, um, let's hammer out all the props, done. Okay, now location, let's hammer locations. And then I can focus knowing that everything else is taken care of. Some people do it backwards. I just find that if I have 15 things and I look back and 10 of them are done, and I have five super big things I have to do, I'm like, yay, look, I'm winning because I've gotten 10 out of 15. Regardless of their difficulty, I got 10 out of 15. So that's that's how I do it, is I order either the, uh, the easiest to the hardest. It's, it's sort of like a test. If you don't know the answer to the question, you skip it and then you come back to it at the end. It's very, that's very smart. That, that, that way you're not overwhelmed and you're taking it bit by bit. It's kind of like stepping on a ladder. You're not going to skip a few steps on the ladder. You're just going to take it one step at a time climbing upwards. Exactly. And it really helps with anxiety and nerves to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm hitting that first run, then the second run, then the third you know, I'm a tall guy, I can hit the third rung if I try really hard, but it puts me in a situation where I might fall. So step by step and doing, for me anyway, the easiest things first is always the best. I like, I like again, your way of thinking. Very on point. And you know what? It is a way that most people don't know how to do sometimes because I know for myself, I sometimes, you know, get all muddled up. There's so many difficult tasks to think of and it just they all overlap with each other so you know what your way of thinking we should all we should all take into consideration on to our next question what made you pursue filmmaking that's that's a really great question actually um i love doing improv i love being on the stage and stand-up comedy and the audio work i do and kind of the next evolutionary piece of that was can you make a movie? And I'm lucky enough that uh, my wife and my family supports my crazy ideas. So it was one of these, I watched a movie and said, geez, I think I can do that. And I watched another movie and said, no, I definitely can do this. And you know, I've probably watched hundreds of movies in my lifetime, but I kept saying, I think I can do this. So a buddy of mine turned around one day and said, uh, oh my God, I'm so tired of you saying this, just go do it already. So uh, that's, kind of what happened is someone challenged me to go do it to see if I could actually do it as good as everybody else. And so I started putting the team together and picking up cameras. You know what? Sometimes it requires your friends or people that you know that really push you to go forward. Because you know what? Sometimes it's just self-doubt. Sometimes you just don't know. It's like, if you if you want to do it, will I do a good job at it? But you know what? It's good to have someone that you can rely on especially when you're trying to share ideas, you know? Absolutely, you need that supportive channel. On the basis of that, you know, what is your drive behind making films? I, uh, I really like telling stories. And everyone says, well, geez, you know, that story's been told a hundred times, or this story's been told, and, you know, the point of it is I'm sure that it has. But no one's heard the story that I'm creating, or no one's heard... Uh, this type of voice that I'm projecting out there, the, the movies that we've done are so unique that in the awards that we're winning from them, people are coming back saying this is such an original story or a, a unique point of view. And that to me encourages me to keep saying, you know what, if I can figure a story that I fall in love with, because you have to love the story. If you fall in love with the story, then from there you can kind of create it from there and then you know people are going to love it just as much as you are. 
So it's kind of this, this drive. I love telling a good story. I like that. It's kind of like when I paint, you know, when I paint, uh, I need a story or else it's just paint on a canvas. Like for you, if your movie doesn't have any context, any story, it's just people talking in a video. Yeah, it's talking heads is what we refer to it as. If there's nothing there, it's just two people talking in front of a camera and it's, it gets boring pretty quick. I, I like that term. I like the term. I like the term talking heads. That. Um, I actually heard that you are making a new film, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little, or you could tell our listeners a little bit about it. Yeah, so we just finished uh, on last Saturday, we wrapped a project called Jitters. And the concept of Jitters is there's uh, two people on their wedding day, and they're having second thoughts and cold feet about very simplistic things. Uh, it's a really good touch on the generational gap in verbiage along with the millennial people coming up behind us, if I'm okay using that term, in, in the sense of that uh, the older generation would have his jobs and her jobs. And the you know middle of the pack generation says, no, we're all working on the same side. And the younger generation, the millennials, if you will, sit there and say, I really don't know how to be a partner because all I see is people bickering and arguing over taking the trash out. So it's this neat little societal touch of the woman uh, in this case has her own jitters of what her problems are and they're completely polar opposite from her her soon-to-be husband so we've kind of highlighted that and we've made it turn into this big beautiful piece and then john odrowski who is our lead in this for the, the groom actually wrote a custom song on a grand piano that again highlights and echoes all of this throughout the story so we're super pumped. It's going to look amazing. It's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be a, a very, uh, a great society touch point for marriage for younger people. So wait, wait. So the name is called Jitters, right? Yeah, J I T T E R S. It's like cold feet, but you know I'm having jitters. You don't want cold feet. Just put on a pair of socks and your feet are warm. But jitters is second thoughts and it's nerves and it's anxiety. You know what? I like that because sort of like, you know, for people who do feel like this, having second thoughts, it's a movie that's, you know, what that you can relate to or some people can can relate to. Obviously, I can relate to it. I don't have anyone. But you know what? People that do will definitely understand the characters that here's the thing. You've created it in a way so that you get invested in the characters you actually are engaged in the story and that's a, that's a very amazing um amazing quality to have while you're a filmmaker yeah you want to keep the audience to fall in love and feel sympathetic and feel through the characters on screen hmm. so here's another one have you ever had a, a, a failed film and if so how did you pick yourself up after it Get all the great questions. Um, the reality of it is, is I, is I really don't like the term or the word failed. Uh, to me, it's really just an attempt in learning. So I ran a show, How Halton, for six years, and for five of those years, we had a television show with Kojiko. And we had tons of sketches and tons of things that failed miserably. And every time that something went wrong, every time we failed at something, I was actually learning. And I learned a little bit of what not to do the next time or how to improve. 
And the rule of thumb is that if you walk away from a film or from a scene or from stage work and you say, you know, I really think I could have done that better. I wish I could go back and do it. Or, oh, I really should have said this as opposed to that. You're in the right headspace. That's exactly where you need to be. Because when you're in the scene and you've done your work and you've created it and it's been evolved, when you walk away, you're that character. And for that character to turn around and be like, oh, I really should have said this to Aiden as opposed to that. Oh, wait, but let's do it again. That's exactly where you want to be because it just means that you're being the character. So tons of things have failed on my end, but I've learned from every single piece that was failed and I just got better over time. And for me, um, rejection is kind of that driver. The more people that hate my stuff, the harder I try to win those people over to say, look, I'm not that bad actually, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's hard. You know, when people boo at you or they don't clap or no one's laughing or people say, hey, that, that was really not the greatest thing out there, uh, it hits to home, right? You just want to kind of curl up in a ball and cry about it. But the truth of it is, is that you're doing something. And the people who are giving you feedback are doing nothing. So the fact that you are doing something, the fact that you're trying is more than the guy who's giving me feedback. So once I had that click moment for me, it didn't matter anymore if people didn't like what I was doing because what mattered is, is that I'm trying and they're not. You know what? It's, it, it, you're basically saying it's, it's this, it, have you ever heard the saying you've, you always learn from your mistakes? Yeah. You know what? I learned a, I learned an amazing saying called, or not called, or the saying was there was never any mistakes. There was only experiences to learn from which i feel like what you were talking about shares the exact same feeling you know the same connection hands down there's, there's no mistakes in life it's just opportunities i 100 percent agree with that so next question nothing about us without us do you believe that directors should be open to working with all actors of all abilities so this one's going to get me in trouble, I can tell you that. Uh, I, I 100%, I believe that directors should be open, open to working with all actors of all abilities, hand down, absolutely. Um, I was thinking about this a lot when, when this question came up. And the, the piece for me is that when I create a story, uh, I write it as if they're just names. And then I create the people after the fact. So if there's... You know, Jitters, for example, we had a, a quadriplegic woman named Tracy, and she did a beautiful job. When I wrote Jitters, I had no idea that I could put Tracy in a film or that she would work. It just, it didn't click for me. And when someone approached me and said, well, what about Tracy? My story didn't change. My story still stayed the same to true to what I wanted, and I was able to fit uh, this person with different abilities in. So hands down, all directors, all producers, all film and TV people, really need to be open to working with absolutely everybody of all different types of abilities. You know what? I 100% agree with that. That is such a true statement that needs to be reminded, needs to be heard out, projected, as as a term would say, you know? I, I for myself, have tried filmmaking. It is a very 
tedious thing. It's very stressful. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, especially when you're a big actor, perhaps if somebody does have a disability, do we just make it about their disability? That's not the thing. They're an actor. You should treat them just like every other actor. They're, they're just people. Just Everyone's just a person. You don't need to make it a That's big right. deal. So is it important to find authentic actors for specific roles? What do you mean by that? So uh, what I'm trying to say here, like, you know how some people are very good at being a villain in a movie? Like, is would it be easier to have that specific actor that does that specific type? Or would it be easier to find someone brand new, someone that's happy and joyful like does it really uh, sorry does does the role of the person while they're doing filmmaking is if you choose an actor that doesn't fit the role like do actors have roles that's the main that's a thing yeah so uh, there's a thing called typecast and what happens a lot of the time is that you'll do a movie and it's an amazing movie and um, all of a sudden people in the world only see you as that Right, so like Liam Neeson, for example, they only ever see him as a guy from Taken. He's done amazing movies, but everyone can only see him as the Taken guy. And, you know, Christian Bale, he did American Psycho, but now he's known as Batman. Like, you get typecasted all the time. For me, when I'm doing these movies and these stories, a lot of the times we ask you to do an audition that has nothing to do with the role that we're looking for you to fill. Uh, and that's just common practice because we want to see range. But the other part of that is that a lot of it is just a feeling. Like you're gonna look at a picture on your computer, you're gonna see a, a one minute monologue from an actor doing his favorite monologue or doing something funny or silly. And you have to be able to pick up on that feeling of, am I gonna work well with this person? Can they betray what I want them to do? Uh, are they gonna create animosity on the set? And that's really what it boils down to. As an actor myself, I get that a lot. You know, it's, hey, your self-tape was great, but you know what? We just found somebody with green eyes as opposed to blue or no glasses versus glasses. So it really depends on how the actor uh, envisions that character. So, so Aiden, it's like, okay, you're, you're an artist and I want you to do a self-tape about being an artist. You're an actual artist. You may not do it as well as somebody who has had training as an actor and that person who's an actor may get hired as opposed to you who's an actual artist. It's nothing against you. It's just that this person over here portrayed what the uh, picture company story director felt was a better portrayal of an artist as opposed to someone who's an actual artist. I hope that answers your, answers your question. No, no, 100%. You know what? I, I've been, I was wondering that because, you know, you know how some, like you were saying, how some actors are known to be that villain and you keep seeing them in different movies, but they're always in that villain role. I wanted to know, like, yeah. is it, is, do they stick with those roles or is it like a specific, like, oh, you get selected for that role? Well, I mean, a great question or a great answer is like look at Topher Grace, if you remember that 70s show. He played Eric on that 70s show for years. He left because he wanted to do other creative options, and now no one really hears from him anymore. Same thing with uh, Ashton Kutcher. Um, uh, I forget the other woman's name, Lillian Kudis. These people are typecasted as these rules, and then they say, hey, I want to try something bigger and better. I really want to get out there. And they try, but the world only sees them as one person. 
you know, Tobey Maguire who played Spider-Man, he hasn't really done anything since that first time that he did it. Now they're bringing him back for the multiverse of Spider-Man. So it's really hard when he become this main actor in this big success uh, like Tom who plays Loki. They're not looking at him to play other roles, right? Even Chris Hemsworth is known as Thor, even though he's done a bunch of other things. Chris Pratt, Gardens of the Galaxy, now he's done the Tomorrow War. They're all action-based. So you're, you're really caught in that realm of, I tr- want to try to do something else. I want to expand and I want to be bigger and better. And sometimes the industry just doesn't let it happen. Sometimes the industry just says, you know what, Dwayne Johnson, you're going to be a funny guy and, a, and an aggressive guy in Fast and the Furious. You're never going to play the sweetheart father or the Vince Vaughn characters or the Will Ferrell characters. It's just not going to happen. He can do it, but the industry is just saying, no, that's not how we're going to make money. You know what? I'm I'm very glad that I was able to learn about that because you know what? I bet some of our listeners are probably like, "Oh, I wonder if people have the same thing." You know, I I didn't know that the uh, that main companies would make them stick to that role, but that makes sense because if I saw like if I saw Dwayne the Rock Johnson being a super caretaking father, I'd be like, "Wait, what?" Like, I would expect yeah, him to, like, just... Drop the people's elbow, kick the door, like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, like, what the heck? What the heck? He's he's, ta- he's talking about life lessons here. <laughs> that, yeah, no, but... Yeah, I expect that's a real fair, not the way Johnson. Hmm. Now, for our very last question. I know it's sad to see that we're already reaching the end, but is if there was one thing that you could say to all of our actors in our community something that to inspire them what would you say oh geez i would tell you that most people never try and that there's always a reason not to do something and when you allow yourself to be constantly put into a corner of people are going to laugh people are going to make fun of me people won't understand people don't get me i'm not going to do it because it's scary i'm not going to do it because it's it's too hard. I'm not going to do it because people are just going to make fun of me for it. If that's your mentality, you really got to shake that off because what you're telling the world and myself is that you're not prepared to try. And I would rather work with a million people who fail all the time, but at least they wake up every morning and try. So you got to try. You got to pick up that camera and try. You got to start creating this, this pocket for yourself and try. How do you know it? Even when you're an artist, how do you know if something's going to look good or not? Well, I mean, you really don't. Society's going to tell you, but at least you tried. Yeah, you do. And it's so easy to say, I tried and failed, but I learned, as opposed to, I never tried because I was afraid to fail. Got to get up there, man. Every day, wake up, you got to try. I heard it. I heard it. do every day. I heard a say, uh, saying similar to that. Um, you have to have a spine. Don't don't not have a spine. <laughs> it sounds silly, but like it really does make sense. Guess what? If you didn't have a spine, guess what? You wouldn't be able to sit up. You wouldn't be able to do anything. So if you have a spine, you gotta you gotta take those chances. You gotta take those dares. You know, never be afraid to do something. Always try it. Just for just try it once. And if it doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out. But as but at least you tried it. You know. That's right. Success only knows if you showed up. Man. And it's the only way that you're going to be able to do it is say, you know what, today is the day, not tomorrow, not next week. I'm going to start writing something 
tomorrow. I'm going to write it tonight. I'm going to start putting this together now because everybody else around me, they're not even going to remotely try to do this. And Aiden, as I've said to you a couple of times, is that, you know, we're, we're not born to blend in. We're born to stand out. So start standing out. God, I, I love that. My oh my gosh, I can't I can't get over the fact that my God. That standing out, my goodness. You know what? For all of our listeners listening right now, I you should take this quote to the bank. You should keep it on the wall. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get like a, a like a, just like a just a stencil of, of that exact quote and I'm just gonna hang it up on my wall. I really liked it. Thank you so much. This has been such an honor. Thank you, Chris. You know what? I bet you've inspired so many of our actors in our community, and they're probably super happy that we were able to have this interview with you. Anytime I'm here to help anybody, questions, comments, concerns, if you just want to call and vent, I'm here. I got two great years. So anything I can do to help, that's what I want to do is I want to help everyone start being their own version of success and I want them to start trying. My goodness. We will we will definitely make sure that people will be able to contact you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, this has been our episode of SOS, Sides of the Spectrum. This was our guest, Chris Power, and we will see you all next week. <laughs> Have a great day, guys. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.